Easter Sunday, everyone. Today's the day that we celebrate the greatest event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That not only did he come into this world and give up his life on the cross, but after he sacrificed his life for us, that he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, the only time when someone has ever risen from the dead of their own power. Not some prophet going and praying over them to rise them from the dead, but from their own power they rose from the dead. Jesus is the only person to have ever done that. And when Jesus did this, it wasn't that he was just, you know, as God in human form, showing off to everyone of how great he is, and look at how wonderful I am, that death has no hold over me because I'm so great, so fall to your knees and worship me. That's not why he was doing it. He wasn't just flexing how great he was. The reason that he did that was for you. The reason he came to this world, he died on a cross, he rose from the grave, it wasn't for him. It wasn't something he did for himself. It was something he did for you. And the Bible teaches us, it shows very clearly that Jesus came into this world because of the great love that he has for us. Probably the most well-known passage of scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then on to verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This shows us so clearly the motivation behind Jesus' actions. That he wasn't coming to just judge the world and condemn it, or to show how great he was. He came into this world because of the love that he has for us, and the desire to save each and every one of us. And it truly is that desire for each and every individual person that Jesus wants to save. See, he didn't come to just save the world as one whole unit. He came to save each and every individual person, including you. I mean, look at the ministry that Jesus had and the kinds of people that he spoke to and taught. They weren't the cream of the crop. A lot of them were the scum of the earth, or at least that's how we would see them. Think about the woman at the well who was a Samaritan, and because of her lineage, she wasn't allowed to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. She didn't belong there, and even among her own people, she had to go and get water in the middle of the afternoon instead of the cool of the morning because of the history that she had of being married to five different husbands and was now living with someone who wasn't her husband. This was an outcasted woman. And Jesus says, I am going to choose you to announce to your people that the Messiah has come for them. Or what about his disciple Matthew, the tax collector? And tax collectors were seen as the worst of the worst, not only because they had a habit of cheating people out of their money and saying that they owed more taxes than they really did so that they could pocket that extra change, but also that as Israelites, 
who were serving their Roman oppressors in order to collect the taxes from their own people, they were seen as traitors. They were seen as people who were betraying their brothers and sisters. But Jesus called Matthew to follow him, to be one of his twelve disciples. He went and sat in his house, which was a sign of really accepting someone to go and sit and eat at their house. And out of all the people he could have chosen, he chose Matthew. Well, what about Nicodemus? Now, Nicodemus wasn't really seen as an outcast much, was he? He was a Pharisee. He was one of the great religious teachers of that time. But despite his position, Nicodemus realized that something was missing. That in all his studies of the Torah, that maybe there was something else that God was doing now. Something far greater than in all of recorded history. And he wanted to know what that was. And so he went to Jesus looking for those answers and answers he found. As Jesus taught him how to have a new life in his spirit. You see, Jesus didn't just minister to large groups of people. He ministered to individuals because he loved each and every one of them the same way that he loves each and every one of you. It's easy for us to hear that phrase, you know, Jesus died for our sins, he came to save the world, and feel like we just kind of fall into the background somewhere in there. But that's not the case. He did it for you. He gave his life for you. And you are not hidden in the midst of the masses of people from God's eyes. And that's not a scary thing. It's a humbling thing. That even in all of the people in all of the world, that God still knows the number of hairs on your head because of how much he loves you. And he would go through everything he went through, even if it was only to save you. Because of the love that he has for you for each and every one of us. But see, the problem is that we have something in our lives that separate us from God. That we reject God. We choose to walk in our own way, to not obey Him, and we call that sin. And it only takes one lie, one lustful thought, one temper tantrum, for us to introduce sin into our life. And that sin leaves a stain that never goes away. There is nothing that we can do to get rid of that sin. But there is one thing that can take it away. The death of Jesus. Because he did not have sin in his life. He was the only man to ever live a life without sin. The only person. And yet he chose to accept that, that wage of sin, which was death, to accept that onto his innocent life in order to pay that price for us so that we would not have to walk in sin. But that sin controls us, and it tears us away from God. 
and it destroys our life. It destroys our very soul. And Jesus, because of that love for us, longs to take it away from us. And it truly does destroy our life. We read about this in Romans chapter 6. And I want to begin at verse 20, where Paul says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul points out here the effect that sin has on us on a daily basis. Oh, sure, you're free from that control of righteousness, right? You're, you're free from those religious rules. You can go and do whatever you want. But what are the results of those things? What are the results of those sins, those lies, those adulterous relationships, those thefts, those fits of rage? What are the results of those things that you are so ashamed of? Those things lead to death. And you can either choose to be controlled by that, by your own desires, or you can look for something else to give that desire to, something else that you can give control of your life over to, because when you leave it in your own control, you end up with those things. So you need something else to give that control of your life to. And God, who loves you and wants what's best for you, will take Whatever control you give him, whatever you are willing to surrender to him, and as much as you are willing to surrender to him, he will take that much of your life, which it should be, if we're really smart, should be all of our life. And he takes what we give him, and he leads us into life rather than death. And sometimes when we're talking about sin, we get so focused on the final results that we kind of miss the immediate consequences, right? We say, oh yeah, sin leads to hell, right? If, if you're a sinner, you go to hell, and so we need Christ to save us so that we don't end up in that place. But so often what we leave out of the discussion is this idea that that sin gives us a spiritual death that affects us long before hell. It affects us right now where we are. It corrodes our soul and it tears our life apart right now. And really what it is that makes hell the dark, torturous place that it is, is simply that it is cut off from the presence of God. And that God's influence will not take place there. His will will not take place there. So as much as we put God out of our life, or as much as we try to keep away from God in our life, is as much as we allow our own personal hell to take place in our life. Hell is a very real place, and it's where sin takes us. But sin brings us death long before we get there. And that's what Christ is trying to save us from so that we don't 
have to continue to poison ourselves. But instead, there is healing that he wants to give us, that is waiting for us. But because we like to control things, we like to be slaves to our desires, right? That, that's just saying we want to do whatever we want. But that's being a slave to your own desires. And when we do that, we do all of these things that we are ashamed of and that poison us. And, and we need to, in relinquishing this control to God and in, in surrendering to him, what you're doing is you are giving up that sweet, sweet-tasting poison in exchange for some bitter medicine. And in the immediate, it's going to be more difficult to drink that bitter medicine than it would be to drink that sweet poison. But after you get past the immediate, the long-term effects are as different as night and day. And we can continue to poison ourselves with our own sin and let our soul be torn apart by things that we're ashamed of. Or we can call out to our Savior who has already paid that price for us. He's already providing the medicine by saying, I paid the price for your sin on the cross. I've paid that price. Here's the solution. Please, Please accept it so I can save you from the things you're doing that are poisoning yourself. But again, God's not going to force himself onto us. He waits for us to accept the help that he's offering. And he'll only help us as much as we let him. So again, if we're really smart, we will give him everything. And in his love for us, he will save us from the poison that we are putting into our life. And I, I know that can be difficult for us to do, but think of how much more difficult it was for Christ to bring us the medicine that we need. How, how much more difficult it was for Christ to pay the price of our sin. Each one of the Gospels in the Bible give us a detailed description of what Jesus went through when he died for our sins. And we should never forget the suffering that he went through. Let's look at the account given in Mark chapter 15, where at verse 16 it says, The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on, and they led him out to crucify him. If you skip down to verse 33, it says, At noon... Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. 
Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Jesus suffered and died to pay the price for our sin, hoping that we would accept it, pleading with us. Scripture also talks about him knocking on the door of our heart. Please accept this gift that I am giving to you that will save you not just from hell after you die, but will save you from all of the death that you are inviting into your life each and every day. And because of the great love that he had for us, he went through all of this. But of course, the reason we celebrate today is because that's not the end of the story. That after Jesus died and was buried, he was put in the tomb, he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. We get a beautiful account of it in Matthew chapter 28. Starting at verse 1, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Through this world-shattering act, Jesus showed that death, that thing that waits for all of us, and so many people fear and try so desperately to avoid, but catch it, it always catches us anyways. That death had no more power than God. Death had less authority than the one who came to save us. Jesus won the victory over death, and he won it for you. So that you would not have to live day after day after day, and would not have to live in eternity, in death. But that he would exchange that death in your spirit with life everlasting, abundant life, pressed down, shaken up, and still overflowing life. And I think it's also important for us to remember that that's not the end of the story. This isn't the end of Jesus' work. His work didn't end at the cross. It didn't end at the resurrection. Jesus' work continues 
to this day. And part of that work consists of him preparing for his kingdom to come. We read about this in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, talking about Jesus' disciples. It says they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is what's often referred to as the second coming of Christ that we are still awaiting for. You see, Jesus didn't just disappear after his resurrection. He hasn't retired. And death has no hold over him. So he hasn't passed away. He is still very much alive. And he is preparing for his kingdom to come to earth. And he has given us his spirit and his authority even to go into this world and to prepare the hearts of each and every person who is here to prepare them for the coming of his kingdom, to share with them this good news that he has won the victory over their sin. And again, just as how he came into this world to die for the sins of the world, but how it was out of a love for each and every individual person, it's the same way now with his kingdom. That as he's preparing his kingdom for all the world, that he still is doing it out of a love for each and every one of us. And scripture even talks about how he strengthens us today, each and every day, through the love that he has for us. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as, as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ remembers us. He knows us. He loves us. We are always in his mind, and there is nothing that can separate us from our love. And each and every day, the Son sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. He who has already paid the ultimate price in order to pay the ultimate demand of death, the price of our sin, he has paid for it through his perfect life and death and resurrection. He gives us gives it to us freely, and yet he continues to each and every day intercede on our behalf because of the love that he has for us. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a Lord who is working for us on our behalf each and every day, and he calls us to join with him in his work to go out into the world and spread this message of what he has done for all people, and that he will strengthen us each and every day, guide us each and every day, walk through every struggle, every barrier, every hiccup, every temptation alongside of us, because he loves us, and he lives, and he is with us. And so, yes, during this time of year, we celebrate the greatest act that has ever been done by any person. And it happened by Jesus, by God in human form, who not only died for our sins, but rose from the grave, showing that death had no power over him, and he didn't do it for his sake, he did it for your sake. And so I leave you with this question, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with God's love? What are you going to do with this Christ, this Jesus, who gave everything for you? This Jesus who wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to talk with you. That's what prayer is. It's talking to God, and he wants to talk with you. He wants to give you the gift of salvation. He wants to save you from your sin. Not just save you from hell, right? Not just a get-out-of-hell-free card, but save you from that daily temptation that you face. Save you from that sin, that addiction, that affliction, in your life. But he's only willing to do as much as you'll let him. So are you going to keep everything for yourself and continue to go down this path that brings death and shame? Or are you going to give him your life? Give your life to someone who loves you more deeply than you can love yourself who created you the way you are and did no mistakes doing so. Even if you're born with some kind of physical affliction, 
God doesn't make mistakes. He created you just the way you are. And he did it purposefully. And just as each and every one of us have different struggles that we face because of the sin that is in this world, the strength to overcome those things is found in him, and he is waiting to give it to us. And all he asks is that we let him, that we accept his love for us, and that we walk in that love each and every day, serving our Lord and Savior, who is very much alive. He is not dead. He is not in the grave. He didn't just live 2,000 years ago. He is alive today, and he died for you. He rose from the grave for your sake, and he loves you, and he's calling you into his arms. He's calling you to trust him, to surrender your life to him, so that he can save you from the sin that is destroying you. So let him give you life. What are you going to do with God's love? That's today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, you can reach out to me either on the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you, wherever you're listening to this, like it, share it, rate it, all of those things to help get the message out there. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day, and I hope that you have a wonderful Easter celebrating our resurrected Lord. Thank you.